Hey, hey, what's going on, everyone? Kyle here with Ed. That you know, I got so and so in stereo. Podcast is back. We've kicked Tom off the show because he keeps talking about music soul child, and we've had enough, haven't we, Ed? <laughs> it took us this many episodes to finally kick him to the curb, but good. No more baked chicken and mayo for at least one episode. Uh, well, actually, I think Tom is just out and about right now, so he couldn't join us on this podcast, but it's okay. We'll hold it down for him. We'll hold it down this time, but if he isn't back by next week, I've got Barry's number. Yep, so I want to quickly point out two things that I mentioned briefly on our last podcast. So I was actually supposed to be going to two concerts um, this weekend. Number one was supposed to be the August Alcina tour, and bad news, Ed, August Alcina couldn't make it past the Canadian border because they thought he was a criminal. <laughs> See, you Canadians, you guys do it right. Because now we have to make sure that we put bad singers in jail stateside, too. At least y'all know what's Sad times for August. And then um, the other concert, which I'm actually going to be going to in about five hours, is the Lionel Richie and Mariah Carey tour, all the hits. Now, Ed, I'll be honest with you. This is going to be my first time seeing Mariah Carey live, and I don't know how I feel about it right now. I'm a little anxious. Really? A little anxious. Well, C-Player, if this was 10 years ago, I would tell you to put your fears at the door. She's going to give you a great concert. But we have seen Mariah 2017, which pretty much just involves her standing in one place while she has her shirtless men carry her around piggyback across stage. So, um, settle in for an interesting night. Well, see, I'm even more concerned because, you know, you follow me on Instagram and anybody wants that wants to do that, feel free to follow me. But I usually post like a clip of the artist performing and I like to do it for my favorite song I'll record it and post it on my Instagram but this time around I can't even do that and I have to make sure that it's a song that she's actually singing live or else I'll get laughed at for that well if you're gonna do that you aren't gonna be recording a single song from Mariah because ain't nothing getting sung live that performance trust and believe Uh, so I've been doing my, my research a little bit been watching some YouTube clips of her live performances and you can tell there's certain songs that she sings where it is always the same note with the same amount of power, so you know it's lip sync. But I know she also sort of sings on some other songs, so we'll have to see. But Ed, I want to ask you, so when was the first time that you saw Keith Sweat? It was pretty recent, wasn't it? Well, it was about, it was just before I left Louisville, so probably 2009. And that was your first, yeah, I think that was that your was first it. time seeing him, right? That was my first live Keith experience, yes. So take me back to that, because I'm a huge Mariah fan, as many people on this podcast know, and it's sort of like, it's like, finally, this is this is the moment. So what was, what was that like for you with Keith? Oh, play, I got to set the stage on this one. And those who are keep up with soulandstereo.com, excuse me, because I'm sure you've heard this story a million times. I've written about it in two or three different ways and different varieties, but... I'll take it back. So back in Louisville, my wife was a entertainment reporter. So, and as I've talked about on the podcast before, she talked to Static's family, did his great piece on him after his death and a few other local acts that came from Louisville. So during this time for the, I think this was for the Kentucky Derby Festival, Keith was coming in town and the wife had some connections and knew the people that were setting up the show. So she went to her connection and was like, look, 
my husband is the biggest Keith Sweat fan in the planet. Like, you don't believe how much he loves this man. So, if you could some way hook up this opportunity where he could get backstage, shake his hand, blah, 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 I'd really appreciate it. So, the person did her this favor. So, the day of the show, I don't know this. So, we're up and we're at, this is an outdoor performance. So, we're getting set up. We're outside. Some security guys come over. Secret service looking thug dudes came over with the shades and everything. Whisper. I'm like, what's going down? So they talk to my wife. Then my wife talks to them. And she's like, it's going to happen. You're going to meet Keith Sweat tonight. So after I changed my pants from urinating, (laughs) she grabbed me, took me backstage. And there was my boy standing there. And we met, had the one-on-one convo. Of course, the convo was just basically like him saying, Thank you for loving my music, baby. Yeah, baby. He says baby like 80 times per sentence. So go backstage, meet my man, take a photo, shake hand, blah, blah, blah. He asked if we want to watch the concert backstage. I'm like, no, because I want to see it firsthand. I don't want to look at the back of your head while you're seeing nobody. So we go into the stage. We go back outside. We had a great spot right, right in front, probably like three rows back. Watch my man hit stage. He did everything. Every of the, every one of his big songs did a few album cuts that were unexpected. He hit moves. He had his old man dance going on. It was off the chain. And I've seen Keith two or three times since then. He is a great live performer, as everyone knows. So that that first experience was unbeatable and my favorite concert experience ever. Hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I don't know if you're going to have as much fun with Miss Mariah tonight. Just Warm. Probably not, and you know what? I already went to my first like favorite artist concert. This was Ashanti and Ja Rule. I don't think I even ever told this story. I was in New York at the time. I was with Tom, and I'm glad Tom's not in this podcast right now because I'm going to call him out, Ed. <laughs> do it, do it. I was at this Ja Rule and Ashanti concert, and in true Tom fashion, after every song or during the song, Tom would turn to me and be like, what is this horrible singing or why she lips? Oh my God. You can already hear Tom saying it right now. (laughs) And it's the fun. Yes. I can hear it in his monotone defeatist voice. (laughs) So at one point it was, why is there no live band? I'm like, Tom, we're at the show. Enjoy the show, man. It's a Ja Rule concert. Why? This isn't Eric Benet. Why would it be a live band? So, that was my first, first experience with my favorite artist, and uh, Tom ruined it for me. But it's okay, because I actually made Tom go to that concert with me. It was, uh... Cause the, <laughs> Good for well, you. Well, that evening, they were doing two shows. The first show, which, start, which started at, like, 8 p.m., was sold out. So the following show was at midnight, and Tom doesn't go out after, like, 11 p.m., and I was like, Tom, we gotta go to this. And he's like, no, I don't wanna go. I'm like, just do it. So then I, like, bought tickets without him knowing. I'm like, hey, we're going. <laughs> and that probably was why he was so pissed the entire time, but whatever. <laughs> well, I can't blame him for that. And you have to see, you're young and youthful and unmarried. But us old married men, it's not like it used to be in my heyday where like I could just leave at midnight and go hang out until 4. Play on once it is like 9 o'clock, I ain't leaving the house. So if you were like, we're going out to see Ashanti at 10 o'clock, so let's go. I would be a little salty yeah. too, but it's just funny to me that he expected so much from freaking Ja Rule. This is the man who couldn't get the fire festival off. Mm-hmm. His concert ain't gonna be much hotter. It also didn't help that we got back around two a.m. But oh well. 
player, we can't. We aren't built for the young life anymore. No, we aren't. But let's talk about some current music, Ed. I mean, not a lot happened in this past mm-hmm. week, but as usual, someone put out something, and I want to start off with this new song by Marsha, '90s Love," which I know you're a fan of. I'm a fan of because if it's 90s, I'm there. And I think anyone who appreciates that early 90s R&B sound, kind of mid-90s R&B sound, I guess, would really like this one from Marsha. It's quite vintage. It's not a song that, of course, is going to become number one on the charts. But it's a great love letter for those of us who love that sound. So 90s love is pretty fun. And it's I know she's still got a new album on the way. This isn't, I think, part of her album. It was part of another project, if I remember right. But it's just a great reminder that every once in a while they can throw us old dogs a new bone to chew on. I think it's really cool because it, it, it sort of is like that um, you don't know what you've got until it's gone thing. Like I remember when I was listening to R&B albums back in the 2000s, which the quality of those albums are way better than the ones that are out today, for some artists at least. Mm-hmm. And, you know... Back in the day, I would listen to an album, and if it was like a, if it, it was probably what I considered like a three point five out of five, it was just like a solid R and B song. But, but because there were so many good mm-hmm. songs back in that time, you just kind of put it to the wayside, and you're like, I'll listen to it when I listen to it. Now it could be a three point five out of five song that comes out, and I'm like, man, this is amazing. It's just like I think we're really missing, <laughs> we're really missing that sound, and it, not to say that it's gone anywhere, but like the the fact that it's not as relevant it it makes you appreciate it a little more it definitely does and it's funny you mention it because just like an hour before we hopped on this podcast i was talking about another 90s artist that many of us love who never got the appreciation she got and that was shanice most people remember her for the i love you i love the i love your smile oh i'll get it out the i love your smile joint but she had so many great songs But because of that era where there was the Mary J's and the TLC's and the Destiny's Child's and the Leah's and Brandy's and Monica's and blah, blah, blah. She got so overshadowed that people who liked her music liked it. But looking back and listening to those songs, they were incredible. And if they came out today, she'd be the biggest star ever. But because of the time period, it was very easy for her to get lost in the shuffle. And I understand what you're saying, too, about the 2000s era artists where there are so many albums that didn't really get a lot of hype. I remember Heather Headley's yep. album people being like, yeah, that album is tremendous. But again, it just got lost in the shuffle. And if it came out today, Twitter would have a meltdown because it was so great. Yeah. So yeah, boy, we slept on so much good And music. I started to appreciate it now. Like, Dondria just put out a new song with The Brat. It's another 90s influence song. Yes, that's a, good, a good one. one. But I'm telling you, if that song came out 10 years ago, I wouldn't care about it as much. But I don't know. Maybe it's like a supply and demand thing or maybe – I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I'm starting to appreciate the fact that these guys are sticking to that 90s sound with a little bit of evolution, of course. But you know, props to these artists for doing that. Yes. Anything that gets it back to kind of my era and the stuff that I came up on and the sound that made me a fan, I'm automatically going to be a little bit biased and give it a little bit more love because that's what made me a fan. So – I'm going to gravitate towards Absolutely. And then off the air, we were talking about a song that we briefly talked about last week, Sammy's Too Long, which I think we both love. And here Sammy comes again with another new song with Rick Ross, Good Life. This is another good song, Ed. 
What's going on with the man Sammy dropping these bangers left and right? I mean, that Sammy is an artist that I liked okay back in I was in college, so maybe like 2000 or so when he dropped. And he was fine, but nothing special. But jeez, he is dropping some nice songs now. I'm really looking forward to whatever project he's cooking up. Yeah, because even in the 2000s era, you know, he came in he came in around the same time as the Mario's and the Omarions. He was sort of like like third wheeling kind of. No one really paid too much attention. Yeah, to him, he was. Here he is, and but the thing is, he could always sing. So he always he could. Always sing. The difference is now is the lane is wide open, and it's a lot more opportunity for the light to shine on him because there aren't really that I can think of at all right now any solo male artists that are dominating the scene. So with that little power vacuum, it's easy for him to shine a little bit brighter than. Fighting with Omarion and Mario, and those guys were at their peak. Mm-hmm. But let's hope he uh, puts that album out soon. I think it's actually coming out next week. But he's got to put that out soon because, oh. Ed, have you heard the news? Usher, he's coming back. He's in the studio with B. Cox, Jermaine Dupree. I think Sean Garrett's involved as well, and Rico Love. Does this mean Usher is back? Play up. I've... I've heard the rumblings. I've heard that he's back in there with the original team. I will remain silent until I hear some actual content. And I don't mean just snippets because I have heard, I believe it was a snippet you might have shared. I heard a snippet from someone yep. and it sounded pretty okay. But I think Hard to Love has shaken all of our souls. So I'm going to need to see a full formed song before I make a decision on what this next project is going to be. Maybe Usher has learned his lesson and he's going to turn back the clock and give us the sound that made him a star. Or maybe he's just doing this so we'll pay attention to him again so he can start doing his snap music again. I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to think, Ed. Like, Usher is an artist that, and I hate to always talk about Usher, but I'm just trying to think. Usher's career, his sound has evolved so much over time. It's gotten to the point where, you know, he's been dibbling and dabbling in different genres, and I think he's kind of lost his way. And I'm now, and we talked about Mariah earlier. Mariah, for the most part, has stuck true to her sound, hasn't she? For the most part. But here's the thing about sticking true to your sound. We've talked about this bits and pieces before, and even a little bit about Usher. I think it's fine for an artist to continue to evolve. Not long ago, I did a post where I looked at the evolution of Mariah Carey's um, albums. And from there, I think when we did that, you looked at her originally from the pop sound going all the way down to like around the mid-90s when she went a little bit more R&B. Then she kind of jumped back up and then she threw some gospel in it kind of later on. So there was a kind of like a signature bass sound that she just added elements of it to. And that's good for evolution. And we saw that a little bit with Usher. But when you completely jump out your lane, that's when the problem starts. And I think that Unfortunately, although Usher early on, Confessions era, he was good at kind of evolving with the sounds. At this point, he jumped completely out of his lane and it just sounds crazy. So evolution is a good thing. Sticking to your sound is cool. Evolving your sound is cool. Sounding like the next man is not cool. How he's going to downplay Hard to Love because that's going to be a tough one to downplay. Well, if you listen to the Twitter conspiracy theorists, the whole drama with the 
young ladies accusing him of giving them all kind of STDs and burning draws and whatnot is all part of this new effort to drop new music. I don't know why admitting that you have a STD is going to help you sell records, but that's what Twitter thinks. And Lord knows I can't say anything against them. I believe I was the one to start that rumor, so I'll take full credit for it if it takes off. Oh, it's you. That's... <laughs> Well, if it takes off, then I'll be I'll know the first person to injure. Good yep. luck. Um, now, I want to talk about Music Soulchild. And he's putting out a new album, and he's been dropping songs here and there. And as usual, our boy DJ Soulchild was going nuts on Facebook about this new song, Humble Pie. And Ed, the song is just okay. It is not that great. <laughs> I will listen. Shout out to Soul Child who gets a, who almost gets mentioned every podcast. He does, he does. And you know what? I'm glad Tom's not on this podcast, so we can be completely honest. But Humble Pie is not that great. It's a solid song, but I mean, it's not that great. It's kind of dull. Like it's it's fine, but it's kind of dull. There have been more. There are more. There was a song that music dropped this week that was better than Humble Pie. So, I don't get what the big hype is on this one. Yeah, as I had mentioned, you know, in a couple of podcasts ago, him doing it on a, all, all on his own like he is right now, it kind of concerns me because I think music is an artist that sort of needs some structure. And from the songs that I'm hearing now, there's not a lot of structure in the music. Like, the choruses aren't just, they're just not strong enough. And uh, I mean, it's a double disc, so I'm sure we'll have some great songs on there. But from the four songs that he's dropped so far, yeah, I think, yeah, you and know. <laughs> you're right. And I think that's a great way of looking at the issues that I've had with the song so far. They're fine, but it's something off with the construction. And I think that maybe it's, maybe it's the hooks. It's something that just doesn't pull me yeah. in the way that music has done in the past. And like we said, the song, the other song he dropped this week, Sooner or Later, I think it's yep. called. That one I like. That one is one with the live instrumentation going. That one, I of all the four, is the one that I probably enjoyed the most. So I think that he definitely has the ability to do it. But my always, that I always say about these double disc albums are, there's a reason why I, if you look at historically the albums I review, the ones that get higher scores are the ones with tighter track lists. Because it's easier to pick the best of your best and present that. And I feel like double albums, an artist just records a whole bunch of songs and just throws them all out there with not enough editing and not enough judicious selection. And you get a whole lot of garbage in, mixed between some good stuff. And judging by these four singles, that seems like the road music is going down. So we'll see. But ugh, this is going to be a long night reviewing that album. Man, between... Tom is going to be jumping down the bed. Yeah, between a Music Soul Child double disc and a Chris Brown double disc, how will you have time for anything? I will be in my grave between musical put me one foot there and then Cousin Chris will just throw the dirt over it. <laughs> um, and they're dropping like within a month of each other? Come on, y'all. Give your boy no, a break. No, this is absolutely true. Uh, now, one more single I want to talk about, and I just want to mention it because it is kind of cool, but... NBA player Victor Oladipo dropped a Donny Hathaway cover. That's kind of cool. That's cool, but again, if you cover Donny, you better be bringing it. I haven't heard the single yet. We talked about it a little bit before we got on the podcast. I haven't had the opportunity to, to hear it. 
But man, if you following Donnie, that's some gigantic Bigfoot shoes to fill. So I hope it comes off pretty good and not a cheap knockoff. Hey man, if, as long as there's no auto tune on it, it'll get a pass from me. <laughs> that's yeah, you get props for that. You get a, I think at this point, if you don't have auto tune, you automatically get two stars from any review that I do. Absolutely. I want to quickly go into this because, Ed, as you know, we all love our R&B groups. And last week, mm-hmm. Day 26, which I think is probably the last male R&B group to really, really make it, they were all over the news because they were celebrating their 10-year anniversary. And so talk to me about Day 26, I guess. What do you remember about them? What's, what's their stamp in history? Oh my gosh, player. Watch my, as I say every podcast, please direct all hate <laughs> tweets to E.T. Bowser on Twitter because I know I'm going to get First it. First of all, Ed, <sighs> weren't you watching Making the Band back in the day? <laughs> I was, and honestly, that's the only thing I have to say about Day 26 because when they dropped, it was all about Making the Band and that was their big claim to fame. So when I think of Day 26, I don't think of a single song. I don't think of a single video. And of course, they had songs. They had albums. Well, they had a couple albums. But the thing that makes the first thing I think of is making the band. I think more about the actual reality show than the actual music. Like, what song did they have other than, what was the song with Young Job? I'm going to put it on her. Like, I, re- I vaguely remember that. But otherwise, I don't remember much about their music. I just remember the reality show drama. And I know that they have an extremely vocal and extremely passionate and extremely crazy fan base that jumps all over the place. So, And shout out to, of course, our boy Brian Angel, who joined us a few months ago on our R&B draft, who actually won the draft, if I remember right, because the Day 26 fans came hard for your boy. But most of what I remember about the band is just... Making up the band four. So, sorry, y'all. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sort of with you on that one. Like, I came up around the time that Day 26 was coming out, and they had some solid songs, like you said, but... I mean, because I'm trying to think. I remember when uh, Diddy went on the Bad Boy reunion tour, and Day 26 wasn't on the tour. That was a little surprising, but now that you look back at it and you compare them to the 112s and the Faith Evans... And, you know, Mace, it's like, you can't even compare the two. They weren't at all. And I know that the first Day 26 album did okay as far as sales. Again, based off of the reality show. But when it comes on, when you think about memorable, groundbreaking hits, when you think about music that kind of changed the direction, music that we really should call classic. You know, I get on my classic rant. And classics are songs that actually affect culture. In some sort of way. Puffy had those in spades back in the mid-90s. Day 26 was a band that came off with a lot of buzz off a reality show. Had some decent songs. Had some decent charting success. You can't hate on that. But as far as memorable tracks, I can't think of. Mm-hmm. Now, before we get into our main discussion, you know, to talk about your list of R&B albums from the 2000s... Um, Tom and I had a very interesting conversation, and um, this actually coincides with the announcement of Melanie Fiona. She's going to be coming back with a new album in 2018. Are you excited about that, Ed? Yes. Yes, and I'm a fan of Melanie. She's one of those artists that I feel like 
should have been bigger than she right. was. Like she she definitely has had some success, but feels like she really should have been a little bit. Yeah. Well, Tom and I had this discussion because I think he was talking to a coworker who's a huge R and B fanatic, and for some reason she doesn't know who Melanie Fiona is, and. To me, that's not so surprising because if you think about the timeline, like I look at myself, for example, big fan of the 90s, but gigantic fan of the 2000s. And around 2009, I remember a lot of R&B fans, you were either going to go into the traditional R&B lane, which is like the Tanks, the Melanie Fionas, Jasmine Mm -hmm. Sullivan, who else was big during that time that was relatively new? In the late, late, late era, yeah. I really can't think. It was that era was dominated by like Trey Songz is ready, and like you yep. said, um, Jasmine, Keisha Cole was still kind of floating around. At right, the time. but who were some of the new artists that came during that time? I think Miguel was one. Miguel definitely. Melanie is. I don't even. They don't jump to mind, and that's kind of the problem that we're saying. Like, I, Leona Lewis, who was really more popular right. than R&B, like, those are the names that kind of come to the forefront. Yep. But then again, I'm sure many people hearing those names are like, oh, I forgot about yeah. her, and there's a reason. Well, my, my point is, like, I think during that time period, you saw a lot of music fans shift from that traditional R&B to that moody Frank Ocean, Drake, Miguel, Lane. So when you talk to these, you mm-hmm. talk to these diehard R and B fans, they'll tell you all about Frank and the Weekend and all of those guys. But the Melanie Fionas of the world, and even I want to say El Varner, that was a little later on. But even those artists, like no one remembers those artists. Like they don't know about them. It's weird. It's weird because again, when we look at the time period, this is when R and B really started to have its identity crisis, and and I. Definitely know it's the 09-2010 era because that was the time that I moved to Birmingham and started really kind of ramping up my blogging and writing about music because so many people were looking for the R&B that we knew and loved and it was getting harder and harder to find it because there was seemingly no lane for it anymore. And Melanie was one of those artists who came out with It Kills Me, loved her album The Bridge, like, that was the album that was like, okay, here's a new artist on the scene doing some big things. A little poppy, but still in close enough to the R&B vein that we can claim it. But it was just getting overshadowed because R&B itself was trying to find what it was. And, unfortunately, R&B was auto-tune and R&B was half-rapping and R&B was moody stuff where dudes are just talking over sad beats. And the artists of that time, even though they had big songs, were quickly swept under the rug for artists who changed, who achieved more mainstream success. And that's the Aubrey Grahams of the world. Yep. Good old Drizzy Drake. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for this upcoming Melanie album. Great singer, great artist. And she's Canadian. We can't forget about that. <laughs> Ride for the home team. I'm not mad at you, though. Y'all put out some good singles. Right. <laughs> uh, now, I want to give a quick shout-out to Tweet. I think uh, Missy Elliott, tw- Tweet, no pun intended, tweeted out that uh, I think Tweet's going through some health issues right now. Yeah, and that's very sad to hear. Um, Missy sent out a tweet a couple of days ago saying that, unfortunately, that Tweet was suffering from blood clots in her lungs. And... You know that she's getting some treatment for that. So prayers go out to our girl Tweet, one of my favorite personal artists, and one who just literally t- 
two days before that tweet, actually shared my R&B list that we'll be talking about in just a second and sent me some love for including her on that list, which of course I was happy to do because anybody who puts out an album as incredible as her debut deserves props. So she's given us great music over the years. Of course, when she sent out that tweet, there were a lot of people saying, she hasn't dropped any new music in like 10 years. And I'm like, Blair, you dropped a new album last year. Check it out. So always got to stay on top of that. Always here for tweets. So hopefully we'll get a good prognosis soon on my girl. Damn, Ed, you're the travesty of your list put tweet in the hospital? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tweet, not Ashanti. She was the one that probably led loud in a coma after that. But we, we're jumping ahead of ourselves, player. We'll get to that. Well, let me just say when I read this list that you put out ashanti and brandy were rolling over in their graves because my goodness how did you manage to skip those two (laughs) i will explain brandy i don't have to explain ashanti anybody listening to this podcast knows where i stand with miss ashanti sorry to bring i'm i'm sure that that will make me not be on the list for your upcoming wedding to ashanti i'll be relegated to the parking lot but at least I'll have my principles. All right, all right. So what I guess what I'll do, because there are 30 albums, and I don't think you want to be explaining each one, we're going to go through 30 to 15. And how about this? You tell me if they're a classic or if they're not a classic. Okay, yeah. You can just jump through a little bit, and then we'll talk about some of the ones that almost made the cut and some albums that people are still pissed didn't make right. the list. So at number 30 was Music Soul Child's debut, I Just Want to Sing. Is that a classic? With Tom listening right now? Oh, please. Tom would be like, yes, you can hear him screaming from the the boroughs of NYC. Sorry, player, it's not a classic. It's music's best album by far. I love it. And it was a time where I didn't even like the first single. We talked about this a few weeks ago. The first single was, eh. Even Tom thought the first single was just yep. okay. Kind of like Humble Pie. Sorry, Soul Child. But the album itself was pretty great. So, by far his biggest All one. right. No classic. All right. Though. And then at 29, Keisha Cole's sophomore album, Just Like You. I remember liking this album, but when I look back at it now, like there are some really, really, really strong records on there, and then there's just some okay songs. Uh, see, now when I created this list, I went through and listened to all the albums one last yeah. time because some of them I hadn't heard in a while. And I was surprised because in my mind, I always thought of her debut being the best right. album. But I was shocked at how good this was. And that's why I gave this one props over the debut. Because it was just a lot stronger than I expected. And by far the best thing, the best collection of work she's put out so far. Love that joint. But not a classic? Nope. I feel like if it had... Because I remember how big... Not the album was, but I remember how big the singles were. I could make an argument that... As far as impact with the singles, you could argue that. But yeah, as an entire album, I don't remember people talking about the album as much as the singles. Yeah, I mean, you can definitely have a classic yeah. song. I mean, the Ghost Town GJs has a classic song, but Lord knows they ain't got no classic yep. album. <laughs> so you can have a classic song for sure, and the collection just be good. And it's you can be good and not be a classic Twitter. It's okay. And then at 28, Kelly Price... Priceless. I know you love your Kelly Price, so I knew she was going to be on this list some way, somehow. 
That is my girl, and this album is one of those albums that just really flew under the radar, and I loved it. It was a long time in the making, and it kind of exceeded my expectations at the time, too. So, it's one of those very underrated albums from that era. But not a classic. Lord, no. (laughs) 27 is one of my favorite albums, Jagged Edge's second album, the J.E. Heartbreak album. Um, I think we've talked about this album many times, but classic or not classic, Ed? Mm-hmm. I think of all the albums we've discussed so far, this one comes closest to being a classic, but no. Ooh. At tw- yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get some heat on yeah, that Yeah, I one. think you will. <laughs> At 26, we have Floetry, Floetic. Now, Floetry, this is a group that was very interesting. They have such a diehard fan base. And, man... Very much Man, this so. Is, yeah, is this a cl- is this and, a classic Ed? And that continues. Yep, it does. Uh, it. I'm sure that fans would call it a classic. I don't consider it a classic. It is. It's kind of like. Well, I would put it above. Of course, the ranking is above it. But I think like that Kelly Price album is one of those albums that people have kind of forgotten right. about in 2017. But in the moment, it was big, yeah. and fans love it. So I'm sure the fans would call it a classic. Yeah, I think I think I Floetry just came at the right time, right place, and they made their mark because of that. That was that was a that was the perfect time for Floetry to come out. The perfect time. Any other time, if they came out earlier or later, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But it was perfect for them. Marsha's still with us. We talked about her song a little earlier today. I mean, and the Floetrist is still around too. Shout out to Natalie. So. They're both doing their things in different ways, but this album, fantastic. Mm-hmm. At 25, we have Neil's debut, In My Own Words, which I think is another album that came at the right time. It was, it was during the, it was during mm-hmm. the Little John era, right? Right after the Little John era Ugh. was when Neil came about. And we, after the Lil John era, and I swear every song had the same freaking beat. Every song had that yeah beat, and that goodies beat, and that freak a leak beat. Everything sounded the same. Oh my goodness. Neo finally came, kind of switched course, got us back into a vein of more traditional R&B, and I loved it. And this album is still his best work. This is the album whenever he drops something, everybody's like, well, it ain't better than the first album. And that's kind of the... The struggle he's always going to live with beating this album. Classic. This one gets really close. Getting close. I would air. I would say no, but this is the closest one that I'm saying yes to. This comes the closest so far. All right. So next we have one, and Ed, I got to give you some props for this one. I didn't think you would actually put this one on the list. Because it sort of has gone forgotten over time, but Jasmine Sullivan's debut, Fearless. I gotta give you props for this one. You better give me props. I know my R&B player. This album was one of, this is actually one of the first album reviews I ever wrote, and it's still one of my favorite album reviews that I ever wrote. Because I, just check out com, put in Fearless, look it up. I don't want to spoil it, but the way I wrote it was a little non-traditional, and I thought it worked really well. It was kind of a letter to Jasmine. So it was one of my favorites and one that people talked about a lot. But I love this album. This is the album that I just knew she was going to be a star. And it's crazy that like 10 years later, we're still saying she's one hit away from being a star. Yeah, I mean, 
Jasmine kind of falls into that 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 trap of uh, some of the R and B art. Well, maybe not as much because I think she had a couple of singles that kind of overshadowed that downtime for R and B. So no, Jasmine Jasmine's a good one. I don't think it's a classic, but it is a really strong album. Yeah, I wouldn't call it a classic, but it's really tough between this one and reality show as to which one is her best album. So it's it's great. No classic though. Next we have everyone's favorite R and B villain, uh Carrie Hilson killer, Beyonce Knowles, with her <laughs> with her sophomore album B Which we've talked about a lot. Uh probably her best album. Um I'm actually surprised to see it on your list, Ed. It's funny how people the perception of this album, I've talked about this before on Soul and Stereo. I realized that people's perception of Beyonce is when you became a fan. Those of us who came up with Beyonce through Destiny's Child, through the early 2000s, a lot of us consider basically R&B Beyonce. Consider this her best album. If you got on the Beyonce train around the time where the hype started, around the four album, and definitely by the time the Beyonce surprise album drop, you think Beyonce is the best album. If you came on later, you think Lemonade is the best album. So really your perception of her is when you became a fan of her music. But most of us who've been down from way back, a lot of us think that this is her best. As far as R&B, as far as consistency, because a lot of her later albums have a whole lot of hype, but it's a lot of inconsistency there. And this, to me, is her best. Yeah, aside from Ring the Alarm, which is just loud, it's just a loud song, the rest of the album was very cohesive, which I thought was was very mm-hmm. good. So, shout-outs to Beyonce, but not a classic. No, I wouldn't call it a classic. 22, Teacher Moses' Complex Simplicity, which, you know what, Ed? I'm calling this a classic. Or at least a cult classic. I'm calling... Yes, I'm calling this a cult classic. I wouldn't call it a traditional classic, but yes, I have no problem calling this a cult classic. This is actually an album that I got into later on down the road, but man, this is such a strong album. Um, it's one of those albums you can just listen to from top to bottom, and it's just like, man, this is this just sounds good. Everybody needs to have that one friend that puts them on to the good stuff. And shout out to my girl Desiree, who she's actually written. She wrote for Soul and Stereo for about a year as a contributor a few years back. And she had this column called Progressive Soul Mondays. And every Monday, she would kind of introduce a new up-and-coming R&B star. And a lot of those people she introduced, of course, end up being big stars. But what she would always do is tell me about this new artist... It's like, oh, you got to hear it. You got to hear this person. And I'd be like, okay, whatever. And then they would always blow me away. Janelle Monet was one of the people she introduced me to. And Tidra was another that she told me about. And I, I liked her single, okay. But she actually bought me the album and gave it to me. And was like, you're going to love this. Listen to it. And the lady was not lying. It is one of my favorite albums of all time. And definitely worthy of inclusion here. For sure. And Ed... It's time to call you out. How the heck did Amory make number 21 with the Because I Love It album? The, the cover looks great. Because. The album cover looks great. And there are some solid songs in, on there. Crush is an amazing song, but this is not supposed to be on the list. I'm sorry. Clam, 
Well, I don't know what album you heard, but the album I heard is pretty amazing. I'm talking like four and a half, four point five stars worthy amazing. This album, the really the only argument against it is that it's a little bloated because they've got a bunch of weird remixes tacked on to the end. But as far as Amory's peak, we all love her debut, and we'll talk about that album later on. And her second album is pretty fantastic too. That was close to making the list. But this one kind of was the best of both of those worlds. The upbeat songs along with the kind of lower mid-tempo joints. Crush was one of the ones you mentioned earlier. Paint Me Over is another I love too. They kind of meld together for one solid cohesive album. It's a little long in two. And I think that is one big criticism against it. But as far as just overall enjoyment, it is nice. It's a shame a lot of people haven't heard this album. When I dropped this list, people were like, I've heard everything but that album. So go check it out. If you can't find it on, I'm sure it's not on Spotify. So you probably got to YouTube it. But it's out there. A little. uh, And the cover is kind of banging, now that you mentioned. A little insider information about this album, Ed. I call this the McDonald's album. Because. McDonald's? Because there was one time, this was probably back in 2008, 2009. I was lining up at McDonald's. I was ready to get my Big Mac. And I heard somebody up there, which is on this album, it was playing at McDonald's. It was like the craziest thing ever because this is an album that didn't even come out. And it was playing at McDonald's. Somebody in there. They were playing the album at McDonald's? That's the weirdest thing. It's just, somebody just had a copy and they were just blasting it in drive Man, if I knew who was playing it, I would have gotten their number then. Man. <laughs> you missed out on the love of your life. Yeah. Uh, all right, number twenty. Ed, that's not a classic, by the way. No. Okay. Next, we have Jill Scott, Volume One, and this is another one. It just came at the perfect time. I think it was man. Jill was huge at this point. No pun intended. <laughs> and I think. Oh my god! Oh, you threw me off for that one. So Jill, yes, dropped at the perfect time. Oh, you are a horrible human being. So she popped at the perfect time. This is right around the time, just as music hit, where that Philly soul sound was really exploding. And she was so ahead of her time because she was able to speak from the perspective of a woman, like very authentically at a time where women were just kind of regulated to like grinding with the draws on and the and the. I was going to say rap, but rap and R&B videos, really. Here's an authentic black woman telling her story and telling it soulfully and very well. I will give you the backstory on this one, though, because when I published this list, this is the one album on my list that my wife was like, you rated this way too low, and this should have been top wow. 10. I don't agree, but she gave me grief about that. And a few other readers did, too, say that I shortchanged it a little bit. I love the album. I think that it's very, when you talk about impact and we talk about the good, the just the quality of it is great. I don't think that it beats the albums above it, but, you know, that's just preference. Still a fantastic album and a very important album, yep, too. Yep. Is it a classic? Ooh. Uh, I'm going to say no, but like. Kind of like a couple of others we mentioned on the list, it comes really close. If someone called it a classic, it would be hard for me to argue against that. But I would say, man, no. I'm sure, my wife. Man, you're really taking this. this classic title seriously. 
I do. I don't throw it around. Mm-hmm. Now, at number 19, Dave Hollister, Chicago 85. Now, Ed, as an R&B fan, I will admit I have never heard this album before. However, in all the internet forums that I've been on and all the reviews I've read about the top R&B albums, this one always gets mentioned for some reason. So I probably should go back and listen to it. But what makes this album so good? It's really the peak of Dave. And if you look, these last couple albums we've talked about have all been like the year 2000. It was just something about that year because it still had the evolution a little bit of a new millennium sound, but still really rested on those things that made the 90s so great. So I think it pulls from that a little bit. But it's kind of like the male version of Jill's album where there's this it's an authentic story of a man trying to find love and the stupid mistakes he wakes along the way. So it's very relatable. Plus, Dave is just one of those very underrated voices. And one thing that I'll admit about this album, at I have been calling this album the Brandy Killer. And the reason why I call it that is because when I originally, before I published the list, I had the list done. The original number 30 on this list was Brandy's Aphrodisiac. Oh. And I went through the list and realized that I forgot this album. So I had to go back and add it, and that's what knocked Brandy off the list. So blame Dave for knocking Brandy off of the list. I'm going to have to send Dave a quick email and be like, hey, you ruined my girl's chances of getting onto this list. <laughs> we're going to have to take it, take this to the arcades, and we're going to have to play Street Fighter. Actually, he would really enjoy that. I've told this story a million times before, but the first time I met Dave is when I worked at the video game store, and he came in one day. And this was right before this album dropped. And he was buying, of course, like 7,000 video games. I was like, who is this guy that's just buying up all this stuff? And I didn't, because I wasn't in my moment, and I wasn't, I was like in work mode. I was just like, oh, this is just some dude buying stuff. I didn't realize it was Dave Hollister. Until he gave me his credit card that had Dave Hollister on it. And I was like, Dave! And he starts laughing and then we talk about music or whatever. Super nice, super humble guy. And he likes his video games. Yep. At 18, Carl Thomas, Emotional. Now this one kind of surprised me as well because I have heard this album and I think it is a pretty solid album. But 18 seems a little high for this list, Ed. Well, I guess it's the eye of the beholder because a lot of people gave me grief for not making this one top 10. And one of my closest friends says this is one of the greatest R&B albums ever recorded. Of course, I'm like, dude, chill out. It's great, but chill out. Again, it might be another album that's the product of its era. But when this dropped, we really thought that Carl, kind of like a bunch of albums on this list now that I think about it, with Tidra and with Jasmine, we thought that like this album was going to make him a superstar. And as far as a solid single piece of work for its era and its time, if you just look at just that album and kind of not like what's come before and after, I think it's fantastic. And I think it holds up. I am very confident of its placement here. You know what? I'm looking at the track list now, and there are some really, really good songs on there. Special Lady, that's a, that's a great song. And some phenomenal writing. I remember at the time my I was in college and my um, professor, my journalism professor, he was also a singer-songwriter. And he would talk about just how well-written that album was because at the time, R&B was getting kind of lazy with the writing. And 
He was right. And I remember listening to it a little bit deeper because he told me, hey, you really need to listen. This dude really is talking about some stuff. It is so well written. Yep. Classic. <sighs> no, but I'm sure I'm going to get beat up over that one. <laughs> uh, Erica Badu, R&B Hall of Famer Erica Badu, Mama's Gun. What do we love about this album, Ed? Oh, I am sure y'all gonna... If, t- if Tom was up here, he'd cry a river of tears for Erica Badu being this high on the list. Because you know he don't get down with Badu, but those are personal character flaws. I can't do nothing but pray for that. But, love this album as well because it's just so raw and authentic. And Badu is one of those artists who just doesn't give us enough stuff. She'll drop her album and disappear for 15 years and then pop up again. But again, this is another album with, that is filled with songs that people know and recognize that just don't get the credit that they deserve. Another super well-written album. But is it a classic? Mm, I wouldn't call it a classic. Again, I'm going to get beat up for that one, but I wouldn't call it a classic. All right, and to round up the... Until we get to number 15, just to finish it off at 16, R. Kelly, who unfortunately is in the R&B Hall of Fame I'm just kidding um, has done I'm not <laughs> has done some crazy things but he also made it to your list at number 16 with TP2 Ed what do we love about this album this is a very long album oh my gosh it's hard it is it's hard to It's and I know that people feel there's this mentality that if we give R. Kelly props for anything we're somehow co-signing all the disgusting things he is alleged to do and which is stupid because this was you have to look at things as they are and as a single piece of work tp2 is my favorite r kelly album of all time it's not his best there in fact there are other albums that i have ranked on this list higher than that but to me it's his most enjoyable because you've got stupid feeling on my booty song that's hilarious you've got the more traditional gospel type songs that are on it and then you have the R&B songs that kind of kind of made his name in the early 90s. It's I feel like of all the R. Kelly albums, this is the one that feels the most like the diverse musician he is because it has all the elements there. And I'm quickly looking at the reviews on Wikipedia. It links to a bunch of different outlets and this album in terms of its critical reception, it was it was just okay. It wasn't like a five-star classic. Not at all. At his time, at his time, people were just kind of like, eh. In, in fact, I think the biggest song was "I Wish," which is not even my favorite song on the album. But it's one of those albums that has become more of a, well, at the time, more of a R&B critical darling. As far as instead of like a overall mainstream critical darling, it's one of those R&B cult classics, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So we're down to the last fifteen, and. Um... I mean, I'll let you take the stage on this one for whatever you want to talk about. 15, Usher's 8701. We've talked about that like 10,000 10, times. Um, so mm-hmm, one of one your of my favorites. favorites. One of the... See, You Remind Me was one of those songs that really, really got me into R&B as you know, a whole genre. So this album is near and dear to my heart, and I would call it a classic. It's, I mean, it's, it's close, but I would give it to him as a classic. 
And it's close, and it's one of those that I wouldn't argue if someone said, if you told me it was a classic, I'm not going to be like, you idiot. It's not. No, I don't consider it one, but it is very close. So I wouldn't argue with that. At 14 is Amy Winehouse, Back to Black. Now, it's funny, when you think about R&B artists, Amy Winehouse does, she never really comes to mind for like the 2000s, but when you really, really think about it, you're like, why isn't she on this? So it was good that you put her on this list. It's, yeah. It's weird because, and it's just because her time in the spotlight was so short. And she definitely had albums before this overseas, but this is the album that made her mainstream in America. So she was only around like a couple more years before we lost her. So that's why it seems like her run was short when it was a lot longer than we realized. But I think of all the albums on the list that we've discussed so far, this might be the first one that I might consider a classic. Yep, I would I would agree with that. Um, I would say, I don't know. Do you think R and B fans appreciate Amy Winehouse enough for what she did? I, I I think it depends on the fan. I think that a lot of my generation and older do. I think younger generations yeah. don't because look at the time this album came out, kind of two thousand six. Yep. That's around the time that a lot of younger fans were transitioning into neo and. Later on, we get into kind of Jasmine and those yep. guys and Keisha Cole. But that those were the determining sounds. And because Amy sounds so much more traditional and almost a little jazzy, I think younger audiences are like, oh, she sounds older than she is. Because she was super young. But because her sound was so vintage, it made her sound older. And they kind of dismissed her a little bit. But as far as ushering in an era of live instrumentation... You got a point to aim for that because she was the one who made that back and kind of back in bold. She really does not get enough credit for changing the game. No, I'm I'm a, I'm a hundred percent, you know, with you on the point you made. 2006, because I was around. That was my time period, and that was when Omarion's Icebox came out. Neo's So Sick. Mm-hmm. What is it? Chris Brown's Run It. That's the type. Of, that's the type of music I was listening to at that time. So. I really had to go back and be like, oh, this album came out too. So I've listened to it, and yeah, it's a great album. I would say it's a classic for sure. Yep. So we're one for, I don't know, 17, how many of these have we done? Yeah, we've done a lot. (laughs) Um, 13 is Anthony Hamilton, coming from where I'm from. Man, Anthony, shout out to Anthony Hamilton. He's another artist who gave me props and shared the list. Now, Anthony Hamilton fans, though, got mad because they were like, this is a top five album, not number 13. Well, Anthony was cool with it, so you got to be cool with it. Again, another album that I don't feel like got appreciated for what it was at the time. I think if it came out later, it got, if it came out today, people would be losing their minds over it. But because it was early 2000s, it kind of got lost in the shuffle outside of Charlene, your favorite song, Kyle. Um, and a few other ones. So I think that this is one that really, as far as quality, stands the test of time and gets really, really close to that coveted five-star ranking. I think I gave it like four and a half, but if it, it got really close to five. You're telling me if Anthony Hamilton dropped this album today, he would be as big as Julius Caesar's right now? <laughs> I'm sorry, Daniel Caesar. Can we please cut this man's mic? Oh my gosh. This dude's over here talking uh, about Little Caesar's Pizza instead of the greatness of current artists. Ugh. 
Oh. Speaking of little, I don't mean to cut off this uh, this list for now, but I just want to point out, I was listening to uh, some new song by Little Uzi Vert with Pharrell, <sighs> and it's like, the song is terrible, but the beat's fired. I, I, I'm conflicted right now. <sighs> See, player, now this is where we have gone wrong. Can I get on my high horse once again? Because we recognize yes. that the music is hot garbage, but we're like, oh, but the beat hot. Let me ride with it, because the beat hot. The same thing of that horrific Cardi B song that everyone says is the greatest song ever recorded. Because we like her, because she's on a reality show. Let me tell you something, player. You like the person because she's on a reality show. You don't like her because the song is good. Because the song is horrible. Uzi Vert's song is horrible. I don't care what kind of beat Pharrell slapped on it. The people are trash. Stop supporting it. Oh. Real talk, my about, real talk about that. that Cardi B song, that beat is fire. I'm I sorry. don't... It is fire. The beat needs <laughs> to be burned along with the song. And Cardi B is ridiculous. Oh my gosh. Yep. So is Anthony ha- Hamilton's album a classic? No, I wouldn't call it a classic. This may be another cult classic, though. But it, I definitely wouldn't call it a surefire R&B classic. Cult classic, now we're talking. Better than Cardi B. <laughs> Fair enough. Number 12, we have Destiny Ch- Destiny's Child's final album, Destiny Fulfilled. Now, I wouldn't call this a classic, but... And this is the one that doesn't really get talked about a lot, because I'm sure a lot of people talk more so about the writings on the wall, but this mm-hmm. was a very, very solid R&B album from top to bottom. Ooh, they were mad about this album, player. It's weird how, like, the Beehive... Loves Beyonce, but like, they don't ride for Destiny's Child. It's very strange because they are like, the Beehive was like, oh, the Beyonce album should have been higher. But the Destiny's Child album, especially this one, gets forgotten about. This is another album that's just like the album we talked about a little bit earlier, the Anthony Hamilton album, that's very short, very tight and condensed. But man, song for song, it's a banger. It's got and it go, and it flows well from the more upbeat songs. It's got the radio songs. It got the more hip hop tinge songs to the traditional songs from front to back. It's a great listening experience. And I've said it before, and y'all can get in your feelings if you want. But Destiny's Child albums are way better than Beyonce's albums. That's just the facts. Except the Survivor album. Oh, good lord, no! Yes, that's the Cardi B of <laughs> Destiny's Child discography. One thing I really like about this album, Michelle Williams got a lot of chances to really shine on some songs, and she did. I don't think she gets enough props for what she did on this album. Oh, my goodness. Now, I know we love Michelle, and she's fine in small doses, but oh, Lord, the way she gets to screeching sometimes. Ain't my cup of tea. She did get more chances to shine, and she sounded okay sometimes. But once she's once those vocals start going out of control, them runs, I start running from them runs. Oh, oh man, she took it to church with uh, through with love. She, she was sure did. Out the Holy Ghost with that one. And I left out yeah. early at that church <laughs> service. Oh man! All right, not a classic though, in my opinion. No, I wouldn't call it a classic. It deserves to be a classic, but it did not have to reach. It's much too forgotten to be considered a classic. Yeah. I think that was that was the perfect album to bow out with. That was like the 
reminder of what they started out as and you know they were able to end it off on that same note with just strong R&B yep so number 11 we have the Red Album um, I guess it's considered a classic it's considered a classic I don't know if I would consider it a classic but just the the mythical status of the album has made it a classic not even because of the content. And not that the content isn't good. That's why it's freaking number 11 on the list. It's a phenomenal album. Her best album. But, and very influential too. When we look at how far it has taken some artists. When we look at some of the Sierras and Tanaches of the world. Definitely in a Leah mold. But, as far as song for song. I don't know if it's a classic. But when you talk about influence. Yes, it's a classic. Number 10, Tweet's Southern Hummingbird. Ed, I was pissed when I heard this album at first because I was expecting a bunch of oops, oh my's. I think... And we, uh, what was the other one? Um, we talked about this before. We did. Yes, we did. And Call Me is the album. Yes, we expected a yes. Timberland-sounding kind of evolution of Aaliyah sound. And that's not what we got. We got a very, very soulful, almost neo-soulish type album. And to be honest, those songs work better... Then the songs that we talked about, and I love those songs. The singles were great, but it's very misleading. And it's kind of a surprise in a way. This album blew me away because it was not what we expected, but I love what we got. And I think over time, this is an album that's gotten a lot more appreciated. Because um, you got to remember, at that time, she was. this came out around the same time as Ashanti's debut and I think mm-hmm. Avery's debut, is it? Yep. And they I think came- those two kind of took off first. They, those two took off way before this one did. Tweet and Ashanti dropped the same day. I'll never forget it. Yeah. And, of course, My Girl won. And that album should also be on this list, but Tweet's album is is great. Oh, my gosh. This is a top 30, not a top 70. Calm down. We'll get to the the sleeper picks later or the ones that you left out. But, Ed, is this a classic? Oh. I want to call it a classic, but... Unbiased Ed says no. I really want to call it a classic, though. Yeah. At number nine, we have the Faithfully album. And I'm sort of undecided on whether I would put this one or the First Lady on the list because I love both of them. But I can't hate on you for putting this one on the list. This is Nor can I hate you for putting it this high. Well, a lot of people were kind of scratching their heads on it, and I think that of the top ten, this is definitely the the biggest surprise of the top ten, but I stand by its placement. It is incredible. It's the only album that gets nearly as close as her five-star classic debut. Yes, her debut is a classic, and it's five stars. This one gets very, very close. It's very, very strong, but for some reason, it just kind of, even though it had good singles, it kind of gets forgotten about a little bit. And between the first lady and even her second album, it kind of gets lost in the shuffle. But it's easily the thing that has gotten close to her reaching that level of perfection again. I love it, and I stand by it being so high. Absolutely. Now, Ed, I don't want to ruin the moment, but we're actually an hour into this thing now, so we got to quickly go through this. Yep. But. So we can quickly skip D'Angelo's Voodoo album. Shout out to Tom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Voodoo. A lot of people gave me beef of ranking it that low, but we've talked about Voodoo enough to know where we all stand on that. Yep. Um, seven is The Chocolate Factory. R. Kelly 
I thought you said you were just going to put one R. Kelly album on this list. Oh, I wish I could, but I had to give love to this one. It is probably R. Kelly's best album. Classic? Mm, I might say yes, even though it makes me want to vomit. Wow. Number six, we have Mary J. Blige's breakthrough album. We've talked about this album as well, and I like the album, but I don't, I don't know. I, from what I remember, it wasn't as good as you know number six on the list. I, I thought it was a solid album. I think it was a great comeback album, but hmm, I gotta look at this one again. No, I think it's pretty great. You need to check it out again. Full of good singles, full of good album cuts. You think it's better than Growing Pains? Oh, please. Growing Pains, the TV show, was better than Growing Pains. Ah, oh, stop. Uh, I don't think The Breakthrough is a classic, though. No, I don't either. I wouldn't call it a classic. Marriage got a bunch of classics. I think that was it. Yeah, this is just another one of those perfect timing albums. Yep. Number five is the Justin Timberlake Justified album. I didn't know we put pop albums on this list. Ugh. Listen, player, <laughs> this is why... When people ask why didn't I do a top 50... The reason I didn't do a top 50 is because with every album, I have to write kind of the little caption information and play. It takes a lot to get all these nuggets out of my brain. So it took forever to do 30. Can you imagine if I did 50? But anyway, if you actually read the caption instead of skimming over the headlines, I will explain why this album was on the list. And it is because it is the most R&B of Justin's efforts. And the second album... Um, Future Sex Love Sounds, that's definitely a pop record, which is why that was not included. Was this uh was this post made before or after the fact that they announced Justin Timberlake's gonna be headlining the Super Bowl? It was made before. If it was made after, the Think Peace stands would have been all up in my mentions, but they tend to camp out there too, so welcome y'all. Yeah, I'm waiting for the, I'm waiting for that think piece. Ugh. Is this Ed, is this an R and B classic? R and B classic. Absolutely not an R and B classic. A very great album and one of the best albums of its era, not an R and B classic. I feel like the Timbaland songs kinda ruined this album from being even better than it was. No, I definitely disagree. I think they're on par with the Neptune's joints, but you are a Neptune stand and you're talking to a Timbaland stand, so we're gonna be at an impasse here. We'll have to do another podcast just to dissect this album. Um, number four, Amory's All I Have. You talked about this six million times. This is definitely a classic. I don't think anyone can argue that. No one would argue that. Not even Tom would argue that. In between bites of baked chicken, he would definitely agree with the placement of this album. Yep. At number three, we have my girl Mariah, who I'm actually going to be seeing in like four hours now. Uh, her Emancipation of Mimi album. And I don't think this album is a classic, but what I will call it is the greatest comeback era of all time. Gosh, I want... my Because when you make these statements, my reflex is to automatically disagree. But crap, I don't know if I can. You might be right. Yep. <clears throat> and the reason why I say that is I was reading up on a forum earlier and they were asking... What eras were you proud to, you know, be a part of or live through? And this one comes to mind because this was like the artist that was on top of the charts in the 90s fell off dramatically 
in the early 2000s just shot right back up to number one. Like, yep. I can't think of a better feel-good story than that. And I think you're right. And this isn't just because we're just gassing her up because we like her or we want her to win and blah, 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 and Cardi B and blah, blah, blah. The actual content is there. This album is worth every bit of the praise. I think this sort of suffered from being way too long, which is why I personally wouldn't call it a classic, but it's hard to argue. It You're could right. be a classic. And that's why it just a little bit shy of five stars. I remember when I did my Mariah um, album review post that I talked about a little bit earlier, and people were upset that I said it wasn't five stars, and that's why. It's just slightly too long. So four and a half, but not five. All right, number two. We have your boy Usher's Confessions album. I mean, what can we say about this album? I thought you would actually have put this album as number one on your list. I think everyone expected that, but it's actually number two. Everybody expected it. And again, another album that suffers from being too long. Even This was even worse, so to speak, than Mariah's because great, great, great album. Most influential album on this list by far. Made Usher a megastar. And it has some great singles, but it just needs a little trim. I mean, even if we don't even talk about the special edition, the regular edition could use about three songs cut off of this thing. Cut that off, we got a number one spot, five-star album. Can't hate on it, though. Still a classic. Still a classic. Still a classic. Number one. Now, I mean, I could get into my little spew. But I'm going to take it over to your comments section, soinstereo.com. Mm-hmm. Your beloved readers, they commented. And Slim from 112. Actually, I don't know if it's Slim from 112, but his name is Slim. <laughs> we can't pretend it's Slim he from said, 112. Really? Alicia Keys, second album. A good album, but far from number one. Defend yourself, Ed. Because I was... Listen, if we, if I could screenshot... Our conversation onto this podcast, you will see that I was heated when you posted this as number one. You were heated, but, you know, you're also wrong. So those are two things you are always right about, being wrong and heated. So here's why this is number one. Because of all the albums on this list and the honorable mentions that didn't get on this list, this is the only album that I gave five stars. Why did I give it five stars? Because it is from top to bottom, song for song. No flaws. There are no shortcomings. There's nothing, there's not too long. There's nothing too weak. There's nothing too silly. There's just the potential that Alicia had. And I know Tom isn't here to defend himself. He loves Alicia's debut, which I think is one of the more overrated albums of the era because it talks about her. People like it because of her potential. And this is the album that capitalized on the potential she had. And again, this is an album that now we look back on. It's like, that can't be right. Because it doesn't have the hype of a Usher's Confessions or the Emancipation. Because those albums, 10 years later, people are still hyping. Whereas this album, people don't talk about it as much. But when we talk about quality and when we talk about impact on the period at the time, I think this is the album that made her not just potentially a star, but a true star. And why we still give her passes today when she puts out so-so and mediocre albums because we know what she can do. So to me, of all the albums on the list, this is the only one that gets five stars. And Ed, to continue with Slim from 112's rant on your website, he also said, and this is why I F with 112. 
they know what they're talking about. Slim said, also, no Brandy Full Moon? That should have been number one. Who wrote this list? <laughs> I asked the same question. Yes, and I am. That's probably the album that I got the most beef over. No Full Moon. And I do not understand the fascination with Full Moon. It's a good album. Well, that album and the Alicia debut, those were the two that people were like, where were those two? Like I said, Brandy's Aphrodisiac almost made the list until Dave knocked it off. I think that album is much stronger. And Full Moon isn't a bad album. If this was kind of extended to a top 40 or definitely a top 50, yeah, it'd have been there. But it's, a, it's not even Brandy's best album. It's like her third best album. I think I like her debut better than Full Moon. It's a good album. Again, not her best. Not the best Brandy ever gave us. Little too inconsistent on that second half for me. Well, that concludes the list. Now, I was going to start throwing hands at you with um, some albums that you missed out. But we're going to have to wait for Tom to come back for this because we're already an hour and something into it. So we're going to have to wait until Tom is back to really go at you. Yeah, he got a um, list of Music Soul Child albums that I'm sure he wants to rant and rave about. Absolutely. And... Man, we got to talk about the declaration by Ashanti, which should also be on the show. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> can't forget about the declaration, Ed. I can't. Now, that's the one Ashanti album that probably would have made the list if I made it like, I don't know. If we did a top 100, that definitely would have made the list. Oh, you are killing me. Um, So I guess we'll end it off with the Hall of Fame. I mean, Tom's not here, so we'll have to get his vote in later on. Or we'll, we'll do it next week. Or we'll have his input next week. But two names come to mind, Ed, for this Hall of Fame. Um, as usual, one from the fan and one from us. The fan, nom- uh, fan nomination, they wanted us to nominate Anita Baker because she brings us joy. Oh, man. Now, see, when we first did the Hall of Fame, we kind of like... Kind of those legacy artists like Anita, we kind of already sort of inducted. But if we don't, if we just want to duck, just kind of look at her as a artist on her own. I think Anita's a pretty easy yes. When we talk about influence alone, that woman has influenced the entire generation of the 90s that we love to talk about and ramp about and kind of ran about. She was the woman of the 80s. She was the influencer of the 90s. Her songs are some of the biggest songs in R&B history. That's like a no-brainer. Yeah, that absolutely is a no-brainer. Um, it's influenced so many people that have come after her. I can't... Yeah, I mean, there's no knock against her. I, I don't, I'm even surprised people asked us to nominate her because it's an obvious yes. Yeah, Caught I think every raptures. one of her albums are like number one, if I remember right. Like, she's... Isn't no you can't stop Anita. She doesn't get. Of course, we don't talk about her as much now because her her heyday was kind of late eighties. But oh no, Alita kills it. Rapture, play it, please. Classic. Also, didn't she co- didn't she cover Tyrese's lately? In she more did, years? and that was a couple yeah. years ago, and smashed that thing, showing that like even as a senior, she's still out here getting it. No, nobody's messing with Miss Baker. Yep, and that kept Tyrese's name in the headlines for a little more, so I'm, I'm not sure. I'm, Tyrese definitely wasn't complaining. Tyrese will find a way to complain about anything, trust me. This is actually true. <laughs> uh, now, 
Now, as for our nomination, uh, which you thought it was your turn to nominate someone, and I thought it was my turn, and it just so happened that we had exactly the same person in mind. Which was I'm crazy. Talking about, which is, yeah, that was actually crazy. But it's time to nominate my boy, Tevin Campbell, and Ed, can we talk? If you really think about it, or at least from my point of view, I feel like Can We Talk is one of the songs that sort of defines the 90s and Babyface and that whole sound. Top three, I would probably think one of the Boys to Men songs is on that as well, but Can We Talk, a huge record. Tevin Campbell, one of the first young singers that could really, really, really sing, and he really made it. He was on the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air for an episode even. Oh, yeah, he was. Tevin Campbell. Man, listen, if you weren't around in the 90s, I can't explain to you how big Tevin was because we talked about, of course, how great Can We Talk is, classic song. But we didn't talk about how great I'm Ready was and Tell Me What You Want Me To Do and Alone With You and all these songs that defined the early 90s. This was the dude that people were talking in the same breath as Michael Jackson. And I'm not talking about Cousin Chris doing his backspin and his handstand and his little moonwalk. And y'all saying that he's tight because he dances. No, we were talking about because of his musical content, this dude was going to be the man of the 90s. And you mentioned Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Dude was already starring in lots of movies and TV shows. Really, when we think about it, he was the male counterpart to Brandy. The artist Brandy is now... He is the male version of that. And if his career extended, we'd be talking about him the way y'all love to talk about Brandy and the way that you yell at me because Full Moon isn't on my list. You'd be yelling at me because Back to the World or something wasn't on this list. So Tevin had the goods. He is one of the biggest artists of the 90s. But Tevin's knock is that he could not translate when the genre evolved. Because you see in the mid-90s, around, well, by the late 90s, when we hit the Bad Boy era and we started to see more hip-hop influence in R&B, poor Tevin lost his way. He just couldn't find a way to transition his sound into that sound. And he got left behind quick, fast, and in a hurry. And because of that, I can't put him in the Hall of Fame. If we look at from 90 to 94, oh, please, no question, straight up Hall of Famer. Even... If this podcast was recorded in 1996, I would probably still say, oh, yeah, he's a Hall of Famer, probably. But knowing that he was unable to recapture that magic of his first three or four years in those first two albums, I just can't do it, dog. I can't do it. As much as we love him, he just was not able to translate. His reign on the short was short like leprechauns, as my man Big would say. Yep. Now, would you say his third album or his was his third album good at all? Because I'm looking at the I haven't heard it. There was that bad boy on it, and yeah. Oh no, that album was not good. I hated the single, the um, the title track. I hated that song, and I I do remember a couple songs on it being okay. It was one of those albums. See, back then we didn't have Spotify. We didn't have the luxuries that you youngins have today. So that's an album I listened to. Probably in the past five or six years, because it was once music became more available online, I could check it out. But I didn't like it at all. And again, he just struggled. And then his next album, he was struggling to kind of find kind of a neo soulless sound. He just really couldn't transition from that early '90s sound, and that's what hurt him in the long run. Yeah, 
I would say the same thing. I think he was good for his time and uh, gave us a lot of memorable songs. I don't recall any of his songs. I mean, his albums being classics, but he was good for his time. And I think that's not a bad thing by any stretch. He does have a lot of songs that people love to this day. So shout out to Tevin Campbell. You're not in the Hall of Fame, but like I said, Can We Talk is one of those songs from the 90s that I think defined the 90s, really. Definitely. And you talked about albums maybe not being a classic. It might You could make an argument that his first one is. It's been a while since I've heard it, so I'd have to check it out. But I remember that thing being off the chain. So, again, yeah. if you missed out on Tevin's heyday, it's kind of hard to get the hype because you don't hear anything about him today. But trust and believe that boy was on fire. He was Mr. R&B for most of the 90s. And just one last point about Tevin Campbell and the Can We Talk song. I remember I was at a club, this was probably a couple of years ago, and they were playing Can We Talk, and man, even the white people loved that song. <laughs> you can't deny <laughs> a hit crazy. player. Once a hit is a hit yep. is a hit, you cannot deny it. No, you can't. So that concludes um, this episode of the podcast as well as the Hall of Fame discussion. We'll try to get Tom back for the next one, and hopefully there's more to talk about. But, Ed, what's going on with SoInStereo.com? I saw you did a hip-hop list as well. Yep. Along the lines of the R&B list of the 2000s, I have just hit the publish button on the best 30 rap albums of the 2000s. So, sorry, Kyle, there's no Ja Rule here. Sorry, Tom, there's no Wale here. But there are still 30 albums that define R&B for that generation, for that decade. And as much as us old heads from the 90s love to whine and complain about hip-hop is dead, just like we complain about R&B is dead, there's plenty of great music from that era that we focus on in that post. Also, a post that posted a little bit earlier than that, this is just a little goofy, silly thing that I did, but man, it's picking up steam. So I was thinking on my road trip about how rappers are just like greasy fast food chains. And I kind of compare rappers to different fast food posts. This would have been perfect for our podcast when we had the fast food discussion, by the way. But I compared a bunch of rappers to fast food chains, and people are eating it up. So go check that out. And you can see why I think that 2 Chains is like McDonald's and why Drake is like Wendy's and a bit more. Damn. <laughs> um, in terms of, you know, I got Soul.com. I don't really think there's much going on right now but as i was going through our youtube channel and i came across came across the r&b draft you had mentioned it earlier with brian angel i think it's almost time for us to do another one of those it's about time. I think it's time it's one of my most fun no. posts that we've done and that one of my one of our most fun podcasts and it was cool having brian angel and b cox and case and i think soul child was on that podcast too we just had a whole all-star list of R&B influencers and thought leaders up on the joint talking about who we thought would win. Brian Angel won. His fans came through for him on his list, even though I think I had the superior list, but I might be a little biased there. But it was fun. Yeah, we need a part two. Yep. Man, I just remember how awful it was to schedule that thing, but I'm going to try to make that a priority coming up. Make it happen, player. I will. But until then, uh, we're going to be out of here. I mean, it's a super hot Sunday afternoon. Ed, I know you can't, but I will. I'm going to go grab a Slurpee. Oh. And uh, I'm going to post this podcast. And then we're going to hear everyone's reaction. And we'll be back next week.
And I'm going to be here envious of your slurpee. So you better slurp it up for me. Pour a little out for the homie that couldn't be there. <laughs> Sounds good. All right, guys. We'll see you next week. Peace. All right.